Okay, unpause. But random thought, and then random thought too, because I really did get on to talk about something else. Totally forgot about it, but I do want to talk about it. And random thought number one, ever since the upgrade to Earth 8675309, it is, without a doubt, like my pinky toes want to be sliced off my foot. I've had so many weird injuries with my right pinky toe in the last four or five years that I'm convinced I must come from a four-toe planet. And the, the, the last one, the one that currently has my pinky toe in so much pain that I'm deciding whether or not to put a splint on the right side of my foot to keep it immobile, it, it's all completely purple. It's so fucking gross looking. Oh, this is the first time I've seen it because I kicked the toilet somehow last night when I was trying to get something out of the medicine cabinet. I literally spun around, and in doing so, in what was supposed to be a graceful, like, elbow the uh, cupboard door shut, I kicked the fucking toilet seat hard with my pinky toe, like, in a spinning twirl, like some ice capades incident. Oh. And the dumbest of injuries, right? But so painful. Putting a sock on just now was torturous. And... Because I hadn't seen it since it was in a sock and I literally went out about 45 minutes later in a shoe, never looked at it again, it's concerning. And it's concerning how much I'll just ignore something thinking, well, it'll get better, when really maybe it needs immediate attention to have a chance to get better. Like, did I just fuck my pinky toe up for good? Maybe. But that's not what I got on to talk about. That was the random interjection. But, okay, so during the update, whenever that happened, four or five years ago, the first real physical signal of it was how often walking around my own house I was stubbing my pinky toes. Like, I've had the same layout in my house for 15 years. I know exactly where the corner of the dining room table is. And yet I was hitting it repeatedly bullshit. Like, shit had changed. It was just clear. I was stubbing my toe all over the house. And the pinky toe. I was missing things by a millimeter or two. How fucked up is that? <clears throat> That's when I also had to measure myself because everything seemed to be at the wrong height. It's Anyway, so beyond just all the mental manifestations, there were physical manifestations and other things that have all tripped me out and convinced me that I'm now a version different than I used to be. Everything's changed including my history. So, that fucked up shit is the mystical stuff I talk about when I speak about the mystical. But when we get back to the practical, which is the shit I'm going to talk about after tennis, <clears throat> I've always wondered who has it worse. In the traditional paradigm of male-female relations, which is what I always speak of, because that's what I always participated in, so that's the only thing I have knowledge of. So all you uh, uh, alphabet people, I respect you. You live different lives. You have different cues from the culture that influence you. Now, as humans, I think we all have very similar experiences. So when I speak about my experiences, if you walk outside my paradigm and just impose structural relationship theory number one across everything, that's the look to have. This is inclusive. 
not exclusive. We're all human. Remember that. But my male-female relations, who has it worse, the boy or the girl? It's a question I've wondered about, and I'm going to give myself another five seconds of talking so this little segment can end on 420. Babushka. Good morning, universe. It's, uh, it's the 1st of September. Happy September. Frankly, I'm glad to see August go. <clears throat> August was, well, losing Phoebe. It's been 15 days now. And I miss her. I miss her so much. I guess I didn't realize how much of my social life was in tide. In tide? Was enwrapped in that dog's presence. She was a constant source of good energy. Which the cat is admirably stepping up, but clearly inferior in terms of capabilities to sustain <clears throat> an upbeat mood. She's pissy right now about something, who knows what. But I didn't get on to talk about that. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess I did get on to talk about Phoebe. Well, not, no, no. But, hang on, pause. Okay. <clears throat> the reason I sound groggy is, it is 8.20 in the morning, 8.18 actually, and I have to play tennis at 8.45, so I'm literally only on to record for a minute or two, because as I was <clears throat> waking up, I, uh, I had a realization that, um, that there's a level of hate, personal hate, self-hate, self-directed hate in almost every single comedian I've met. And having gotten to talk to a couple of the more talented ones last night, I, I could, my first <clears throat> reaction to both of them was self-loathing. And I unfortunately am starting to believe that there isn't a great comic alive who isn't still trapped in self-loathing. And and I I I'm I'm torn with the concept that that what real laughter is tapping into is that we all hate ourselves and that that edge of hatred we're walking as we maintain existence in what is otherwise a hellish landscape of reality that the only thing that separates that day-to-day get up and do it for the sake of doing it from fuck this, I'm out, is laughter. Why, why would anybody not loathe this situation? At any moment, it all could end. There's no permanence to anything other than the idea that pain and suffering continue to go from generation to generation. 
There seems to be no way to eradicate it because humanity has no capacity to work together for that kind of end goal of common goodness. So nihilism becomes, at best, the way we think of a system broken to the core. It's just... <clears throat> how could how can my drive to be on stage erupt most immediately when I emerge as a person incapable of having negative thoughts of others? I get that making fun of things is really what comedy is. And the best comedy to me has always been comedy that makes fun of us, the humans. And that's what I've been trying to attack at its core, is that it's funny, this human ride we're on. It's not a horror show. It's a comedy of errors. One that if you step back and appreciate... Is quite entertaining and filled with hope and offers all kinds of glimmers of the best in humanity. There are reasons to be optimistic wherever you want to look, but maybe not on the comedy open mic scene. Maybe that's the one place where true, cynical, I've lost it, so this is what I've got left to share those creative emergences, well, they certainly are there. And they're funny. They're clever. But they don't love themselves. So what message are they really sending? I don't know. I woke up with that conundrum, and I don't know what I think of it yet. And I really, really appreciate the consideration of responsiveness that was available from both of these guys. I can't remember having a more genuine conversation than the one I had with a guy named Aaron. I mean, really. It was six, seven minutes of contemplative, direct exposed response that alone made the night valuable I love knowing I'm having a conversation of consideration where someone's not just parroting back auto answers they're literally taking your question thinking about it and then giving you a reply how fucked up is the world when just having considerate conversation becomes a rarity. Well, there's a lot of considerate conversation to be had among those people. I haven't given up on them as the army that can change the world. But they gotta believe in themselves more than they do. Self-doubt's the biggest killer for all these aspiring comedians. And in fact... I mean, if we're being honest, self-doubt's the biggest problem for everything, right? Including my tennis game, which if I don't start 
Well, let's see, I guess stop this recording. You know, it's my dad. Can't be late. Pause. Okay, I'm back. Hello, universe. Oh, kitty's here too. Kitty. Um, not really remembering what I spoke about in the first 12 minutes of this from this morning. Uh, it is now, what time is it? It is 8.02. Uh, so yeah, I played some tennis. Uh, and now I've got to be at work in two hours. And the first 12 minutes of this recording are lost to me now. It's been too long. Uh, I know I woke up with some thought in my head that I felt like I had to get down, so that's, I hope, uh, what I was able to work out in the first portion, but I knew that I was coming back to talk about the male-female relationship dynamic. And <clears throat> when I was uh, of the first uh, boy-likes-girl age uh, time in life, <clears throat> I remember thinking it would be so much easier to be a girl and just wait for the boys who like you to ask you out and then decide which one you want to go out with. Because the idea that you knew this person liked you meant there was some emotional safety in play. And as someone who has, all, as a matter of fact, I'm bleeding all over my middle finger right now from a cut I didn't know I had, but I, uh, I get the feeling that I have a high tolerance for physical pain, just based on how many injuries I've suffered without really realizing I was suffering the injury. But emotional pain? Ugh. I think I might have the lowest tolerance for emotional pain on the planet. In fact, I would say one of the true... Uh, hmm. True energies my life has taken incorrectly is fear of moving forward due to possibility of incurring emotional pain. Um... And I, I don't really know where this comes from. There's no question that when I feel the hurt of hmm, of someone else's actions slanting against my emotional tide, I can I can be down for days. And I would much, much rather take several punches to the face than one true heartbreak. And it's it's with that sort of uh, insecurity, softness, uh, fragility, um, that I had always wished that it was a more level playing field on who had to ask who out. And then at some point, probably college 20, somewhere in there, I started running into some truly uh, dynamic women who maybe uh, in the looks department weren't a uh, 7, 8, 9, 10, but had so much going for them and never, ever got attention from the opposite sex. Because 
they didn't feel empowered enough to just chase after someone they were attracted to and even might have felt a mutual attraction, they sat waiting for someone to ask them out. And I thought, well, fuck, man. There's no question that just the idea that someone could exist as dynamic and attractive as this person without ever being asked out, and yet the cultural shame of stepping up to the plate and saying, hey, you want to go have dinner, is so strong that they don't make that play well, that seemed like the worst prison to be in. And knowing that uh, uh, as, as someone who <laughs> physically, I've never felt like I was good looking or unattractive. I always felt like I was exactly male enough to meet uh, the woman I wanted to meet at whatever level of attraction she was going to be and attract them. But it didn't mean that I was being chased down by woman after woman. I mean, I've known dudes who get thrown phone numbers in every circumstance you can imagine. That's not me by any means. So, in some level of, well, if I were a woman, I'd be this person. It came to settle with me that by far the better end of the, of the equation was with the ones willing to take the initiative and show their attraction regardless of emotional rejection that may lay in wait. And because I'm such a uh, (laughs) a Fabergé egg of emotional fragility, well, it was rare that I ever went after a woman, as it were, without succeeding. And... I can think of one specific example where I had all of my attention dedicated to a single individual who said no. And I thought, okay, I have never been rejected before. But this rejection, though still uh, forefront of my mind, will serve as the the humbling factor in terms of realizing that not every woman is attracted to you. And, yeah, this sounds like the ultimate uh, megalomot... I sound like a maniac when I say that every woman on the planet Earth is attracted to me. Obviously, that's not true. But I believed in my heart that I was such a good person... That over time, everyone at least likes me. And not that I would think of wearing down a woman's uh, uh, negative opinion of me to try to make it positive. I really wouldn't have gone through any of that. But I was somewhat surprised that my, um, my attempts to garner favor with this young woman in my 20s had failed. I had never known such a failure. And to this day, um, would say that that was the one that I probably don't understand how we never had a chance to move forward. But having embarrassed myself fully now with this discussion, there is a point. And that is that when I turned off my charm, as it were, 
and stopped trying to find relationship material. Um, I did obviously occasionally run into women with whom there was a mutual attraction, and I just didn't act on it. Or made it clear that I was in no way, shape, or form ready for anything of that nature to whomever might have been building the mutual attraction. But in the last year, too, as I've stopped caring uh, about even seeking that, and figured I was destined for a life of, of solo piloting, um, well, two things happened. One, I met somebody with whom I had a cosmic connection, literally had some mystical stuff about them that when it all came to reality shook me considerably and still does to be honest and it's it's not unfair for me to to say especially now that i think i might have fallen in love with someone for the first time ever but I also think it's fair to say that there was so much mystical threading weaving its way through that tapestry of she and I that I'm somehow creating emotional texture, quote-unquote love, that is more, uh, it's more magical than it is emotionally viable. And I say this because what happened is I had a series of apocalyptic dreams throughout the aughts and the early teens of this century that always ended in the same way, with a woman coming out of this sort of camp encampment area saying, there's nothing for you here, you need to move on. And it was, the, the faces of the people in the encampment would change, but this woman was always the same. And this woman I met in real life in 2023, 22. I, uh, I was so stunned by it. This has happened one other time where I've had um, lucid dreams about somebody and then met them. So when it happened, it was, uh, I instantly knew what I was seeing. And shaken though I was by it, managed to admit to this person all of the things therein. And, uh, and that was basically, I think, the stick that swatted them away for fear of me being a lunatic. Which, maybe I am. But having still felt the... Uh, the pain of that failing to launch and having to remove myself from the situation entirely just to have enough emotional security to not fall apart. Well, I've since uh, been on a few dates with a few really great women. And I've been on a couple of dates with one really great woman who is everything I would have been looking for in somebody 20 years ago. She's wonderful. 
but she's not the woman I fell in love with. Nor do I really think I can fall in love with her. And I, I hate to be in this position because I've always felt like I could love anybody. And then something happened to separate one person from the rest of the field in a way that was so unexpected. Well, I'm still trying to wash it all through. And that's what has me coming back to the thought of, well, who's got it more fair? The one who is looking for something, chasing something, trying to ask enough people out that the right one will eventually filter through their way. Or the one who, like a lightning bolt, is struck by somebody who's so far above everything you've ever known that you think, well, this is what I've been waiting for. This this is the signal I needed that not committing or overcommitting to something that was less than potentially available has been the right decision my whole life because this person is uniquely worth it. And then when that person who's uniquely worth it says, but I'm not interested, well... Is that the ultimate karmic retribution for a life lived waywardly? Perhaps. I certainly can see it that way. But more so, I don't want to let it limit the potential I have with everybody else around me. The idea that we never actually engaged means I've got all kinds of misappropriations about what we could have been because we never were. The idea that this person was so uniquely aligned to make my relationship thoughts complete, well, again, there I am landing in codependency, thinking that somehow my life and someone else as a combination is better than my life and anybody else as a combination. That's just imagination land. I have no fucking idea. I have no idea. In fact, when you get right down to my psychosis, well, how much overlap needs to be there before somebody can truly love me? I don't know. So, as a Fabergé egg of emotional fragility meeting somebody in my 50s who was so far above the field that I thought destiny was working some magical path to follow and then having that path literally closed down before I could take one step. It just, it just has to reinforce that the connection between people fleeting though it can be, is of such high value. And I will always, in my head, think I fell in love with one person who I never had a chance to even see where it could go. I'll never get rid of that delusion.
But that delusion can't hold me back from the really good opportunity sitting in front of me right now. I'd be a moron not to follow up. I'd be a moron not to give the same chance that in my head I'm giving to somebody confabulating all sorts of potential outcomes that just will never realize. If that person's more important than the reality that can be realized, well, I'm fucking things up. And in this situation, neither one of us has been the boy or the girl. The attraction between us has surfaced, what I will say, evenly on both sides and readily apparent to either one of us. And this is the way things used to work for me. I'm not going to shy away from being the person that I am most comfortable being, even if that person is a little bit protected from the bigger world that sits out there potentially doing harm to anybody willing to risk it. No, I may get harmed in this situation. Let's be honest. I have no idea how deeply I can feel in a world where I love myself. That difference alone is enough of a difference to make the next boy-girl interaction one that I have all the courageous fortitude necessary to step up and say, Hi, I like you. I would like to see more of you. In a world where that's a hard thing for women to get to do, well, it took me a while to come back to the idea that emotional pain is yours to decide. If you're going to feel emotional pain from rejection from somebody who really barely knows you, well, that's your fault. Your fortitude can't be dependent on anything other than what you know you are inside. And what I know I am inside is the kind of presence that makes other people's lives more fulfilling. And so finding those people who do the same for me, when they appear, they're important. And this is a situation where I have to follow through. All of 2023 has been an emotional challenge when it comes to relationships. But having most of them go exactly in a direction that leads to more fulfillment in my life means the one that stands out isn't the standard bearer, it's the exception. So when I speak here at Thanksgiving and Christmas of this new woman who I am now feeling around the holidays is maybe more serious than it was in September, we'll see if I'm predicting correctly here. But something tells me I'm about to be a boyfriend. <laughs>